Would you bow with me, please, for a word of prayer? Father, you have told us in your word that we should love one another, for love comes from you. Your word says everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, you have recorded in your word, since you love us, we also ought to love one another. And so, Father, we thank you for the incredible love that you have demonstrated for us and that while we were yet sinners, your son Christ Jesus died for us. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin in Jesus. Thank you for that incredible gift of eternal life that belongs to us in Jesus. And I pray that we will be a people who truly love you and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of James. I want to thank Brother Bobby for sharing with us this morning. Bobby is a chairman of our steering committee. That accounts for the 2.30 wake up each morning as he helps to lead us forward into the future. He's also one of our elders, and I appreciate his sharing with us today. Thanks to the choir and orchestra, beautifully led us this morning. I'm so grateful. And also thank you for Paul for his beautiful prayer. Now, we're in a series of faith that works. We're looking at the book of James. Remember, next Sunday's Easter Sunday. We will divert from James We'll be in Matthew, the resurrection story. And don't forget Friday at 6.30, our annual Good Friday service right here in this room. Friday at 6.30. Don't miss it. Two weeks ago today, we talked about the unchristlikeness of favoritism or, or, or prejudice. And last week, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Today, we're talking about faith works as part of a series, A Faith That Works. And I know you just sat down, but I'm going to ask you to stand because this is a sweet tradition that we have to stand when we read the Word of God. James 2, verse 14, and the Scripture says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that. And shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? 
as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So does James teach that we are saved by works? Is James in conflict with the Apostle Paul who wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Don't forget to read verse 10. We quote verses 8 and 9 repeatedly, but don't forget verse 10 where Paul said, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is no conflict between Paul and James. In Ephesians 2, Paul is telling us how a person is saved. James then shares the results or the proof of our salvation. I love the way Chuck Swindoll illustrated this when he said, and I quote, Paul sees fire in the fireplace. James sees smoke coming out of the chimney. You understand what he's saying? Paul sees the salvation, the the fire in the fireplace. James sees smoke coming out of the chimney and says, oh, there must be a fire in the fireplace because I see smoke. So James is saying where there is real salvation, then you see the fruit, the results, the works that a believer does. Paul talks about how a person is saved. James talks about the results or the proof of our salvation. Paul uses the word justified, and that could be defined in the way Paul uses it as the act of God at salvation that declares us right with God while we are still sinners. James uses the word justified and uses it in this manner, the evidence or the proof of our faith and our salvation. Paul says, here is how you are saved. James says, rather directly, if you've been with us in this series, James has no problem with directness. James says, don't tell me you're saved if there is no change in your life or no evidence of salvation. So there are four things that I want us to remember very quickly this morning about this passage. And the first is this, real faith is not just verbal. Real faith is not just verbal. I want you to notice in verse 14, he says, if someone claims, if someone claims to have faith. Now, James is telling us that faith cannot be seen except by our works and our behavior or our fruit. And Jesus himself said, by their fruit, you will know them. A person who claims faith yet lives a life devoid of any evidence is not telling the truth or is perhaps himself or herself deluded. For remember that Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Again, James is dealing with a life style. We've observed this over and over again. It is not that 
we are sinless. We know better than that. And it is not that some of us at some point in time might have found ourselves having drifted away from the Lord for a period of time that may have happened in the lives of almost everybody in this room. James is not talking about some solitary action. What he is talking about is a life lived over a prolonged period of time that gives no fruit that one belongs to Christ. James illustrates that in verses 15 and 16, where he says, suppose you see a brother or sister without clothes and daily food, and you simply say, God bless you. But you don't do anything to help them. He says, what good is that? In other words, it is not, our words become empty when we simply say, well, God bless you. Go and have a good time. No, you don't have any clothes. No, you don't have any food. But go and have a good time. God bless you. James says that that's ridiculous. That makes our words empty. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I love reading biographies. I love to read about famous people and in reading about Theodore Roosevelt, who's one of my favorite American characters, Theodore Roosevelt read a book authored by a New York City newspaper man named Jacob Reese. And the book was entitled How the Other Half Lives. And it described the slums in the city of New York in that day and with all their vice, all their crime, all all the, the sadness of the situation. And the book was a call for action to do something about it. When Roosevelt finished the book, he got up, left his house, went to the newspaper office to see Reese, who was not there. So Roosevelt took his business card, flipped it over, and wrote these words on the back and left it on Reese's desk. Have read your book and have come to help. That's what James is talking about. We see the need And because we have faith, then our faith works. We take action. We do something. Let's suppose, by illustration, that in in an invitation, we have two men on the same Sunday who walk down the aisle to give their lives to Christ. Hallelujah, happy day. One is named Mark and one is named Mike. Now, with all due respect to the Marks and the Mikes in the room, one is named Mark, one is named Mike. They both profess Christ. We introduce them to the church. Everybody's happy. Hallelujah. We shake their hand and and we're all happy for both Mark and Mike. Well, one year later, we observe that Mark has been faithful. He is faithful. He's learning to pray. He's learning to read the Bible. He's learning to witness. He's bringing his family to church. And he accepted the offer that the church made to provide someone who would disciple him and help him to grow in his new faith. Then there's Mike. After two or three weeks, Mike began to become sporadic in his church attendance. He repeatedly refused the offer of the church to provide someone who would disciple him and help him to grow as a believer. He quickly returned to his old habits He soon dropped completely out of church, and instead of bringing his family to church, he left his family. Now, James would simply say about that, it is obvious whose faith is real. And that is what James is talking about. We are not saved by works. If we were, Jesus would not have needed to die on the cross. But if we are saved, then we will show it, and that's what James is saying. 
There may be that time we drift away momentarily or a brief period of time, but we will come back because James is saying over time we give evidence of our faith by what we do. Now that leads to the second thing, and the second thing is this, real faith works. Real faith works. Real faith serves, real faith shares, real faith grows, real faith desires to do right, real faith desires obedience. Look again at verse 17 and 18. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James replies, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. I loved watching the redeemed of the church. I love watching the redeemed serve the Lord. That means I love watching you. That's the redeemed that I'm talking about. I love watching you. I love watching the enormous number of volunteers who, who give of your time to serve the Lord in so many different ways in the church, in the community. It, it is a beautiful thing to see. One, just this week, we put out the word that the Wimberley family that had been attending, Mr. and Ms. Wimberley had been attending our church and were planning to join. And then last Saturday in a very tragic accident, Mrs. Wimberley and three other family members were killed. And and so we put out the word this week that we need food for the family and we're going to feed them here on Friday, the day of the funeral before the service here. And and so immediately the response was overwhelming. And finally, uh, Vicki had to say, stop. Because so many people had responded and we had leftover food to send to them. Food going every day. That's just a small example. And, and I'm sure those of you who provided food, you weren't thinking in terms of that being any big deal. But I will tell you to the Wimberley family, it was a very big deal. And the way that you serve in missions and, and disaster relief and, and serving youth and serving children and doing what you do in, in, in the community, you give evidence of your faith. In a few moments, we're going to pray and commission the launch team going from here to Renewal Church, our, which begins, remember, next Sunday morning. Our church plant launches next Sunday morning. Can't believe it's here. After all these months, it's here. I am so proud of those who from this church have prayed and and felt the leadership of God to go and serve in this way. If you've never done that kind of thing before, that, that, can, that can be kind of scary to, to leave where I am, in some cases where I've been for a long, long time, and to go to a new church start. But I'm so proud of those who are, in my estimation, giving evidence of their faith by saying, God's calling me, I will go, I will serve in this new endeavor, and thereby giving evidence of faith in Christ. Now, the third thing is this, real faith is not just mental assent. Real faith is not just mental assent. Look at verse 19. James says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. James is saying it's not mere intellectual assent. It's not a head knowledge. Because the devil and his demons know that God is real. They know who Jesus is and they tremble, but they are not saved. I know about George Washington. I've read a lot about him. What a great general, our great first president, father of our country. But 
I don't have a personal relationship with George Washington. He hasn't saved my soul. I'm not going to heaven because of George Washington. I have an intellectual knowledge of him, but not a heart knowledge. And James is saying it's not an intellectual knowledge that says, oh, yes, I believe there is a God, but it is a heart knowledge that acknowledges Jesus as Savior and Lord. It is not mere intellectual assent, nor is it even an emotional response to Jesus, even though the intellect is involved and emotions are usually involved when we give our lives to Christ. But those two by themselves are not sufficient. What makes the difference is that in our hearts, we acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Real faith then is shown as a result of that decision. And real faith turns away from sin and follows Jesus, changed on the inside. We love, we serve, and we follow Jesus, or as we say it here, knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, sharing Jesus globally. That brings us to the last thing. Real faith is illustrated. Real faith is illustrated. I like the way James gives us illustrations. He gives us several in this passage. And he closes this passage by giving us two vivid illustrations that every recipient of this epistle, which we remember believed to be mostly Jewish believers who had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire because of persecution, all of them understood. First, he talks about Abraham, to whom God said at the age of 75, you think God's finished with you when you're 75? Not quite. God said to Abraham, gather up your family, your herds, your tents, everything you got, and go, move from Ur of the Chaldees to a place I'm going to show you. Now, Abraham, the scripture doesn't say this, but Abraham may have said, and where is that God? And God just said, go, I will show you. And so by faith, the scripture tells us, Abraham acted on his belief by faith. He gathered his family, gathered his flocks, gathered his tents and began to walk. And God showed him the way to what we now know to be the promised land. In addition to that, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world through you, through your seed. He said that at the time when Abraham and Sarah were childless. And at a very old age, Abraham and Sarah had their first child. His name was Isaac. And then God said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. And an astonishing thing to Abraham, an astonishing thing to us. But Abraham was willing to act and put his faith into action and to sacrifice his son on the altar to God, believing in his heart, according to Hebrews, that if he did that, God would raise his son from the dead in order to keep the promise he had made to bless the world through his seed. What astonishing faith. And Abraham acted on his faith. And James says it was credited to him as righteousness. Then he gives the illustration of Rahab. Well, what an unlikely combination with Abraham. Rahab was a prostitute, lived in Jericho, and, and she hid the, hid the Hebrew spies on the roof of her house so that they would not be discovered, and then sent them out when the guards weren't looking, sent them out in safety, and she did it because she said to these Hebrew spies, I know that your God is going to deliver this city and this land to you. I believe that, 
and, and, and the spies said, thank you. And when we come in and conquer the city, hang a scarlet thread from your window and we'll remember that you live there and we won't hurt you. We will deliver you in that scarlet thread, a picture of the, of the blood of the Messiah, the blood of Jesus. Rahab acted on faith, obeyed on faith. And guess what happened? She ends up in the lineage of Jesus. Can you believe that? A prostitute? In, in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5, where we're reading the genealogy of Jesus, and we've got Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, and Judah, and David, and Solomon, and Asa, and Hezekiah, and Josiah, and all those incredible people. And then we look in, in one verse and we say, Salmon, the mother of the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Rahab is, ends up in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. So, bring it in, bring it home. Here it is. Two things to think about. First of all, a question for all of us. Is your faith real? Is your faith real? Is it simply intellectual? Or is your faith real? Second thing, observe real faith works. Real faith works. Is your faith real? If it is, then others know it. Because of the way that you live your life and serve the Lord and serve those around you. Let's bow for prayer. In a moment, we're going to stand and Brother Gary will lead us in our hymn of invitation. Always offering an invitation at the close of our worship services because we believe someone in this room does not yet know Jesus and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today. If that person is you then when we stand and begin to sing, I ask you to slip out from your seat, make your way to the front. I'm already here. Place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. A member of our staff will be here to pray with you, open God's Word and share with you that on this morning in April, the Sunday before Easter, that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord by faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Father, draw someone to yourself this morning, and I pray that those of us who already claim to be Christ followers will observe very carefully, is our faith real, and is our faith being put into action? I pray that the answer to that would be yes and yes, and that you will encourage and speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God speaks to you. You come as we stand and sing.